You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We have been going through the book of Galatians, and as we mentioned, uh, we're going to slow down now in chapter 5 and spend a few weeks in uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And so we're just reading two verses this morning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. Let's open our hearts and, and ears to receive God's word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is God's word. You know, last week we talked about uh, looking at the forest of this passage, of the, of the fruit of the Spirit, um, the big picture of uh, the work of God's Spirit in our life, in the life of a believer, and then also the works of the flesh, the sin nature, and how those two manifest themselves in the life of a person. These two works are in opposition to one another. Uh, The things that the Spirit wants in our life are opposite from what God desires in our life. They're opposed to one another. And we're reminded that a person's not saved by their fruit. They're not saved by the things that they do or the manifestation of of, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. They're saved by grace through faith. But genuine faith will, be, will bear fruit. Jesus will, will cause fruit in our life to be born, to, raise, uh, to, to grow, and to be seen by others, and to be enjoyed by ourselves and give glory to God. So last week we looked at the forest, and today we're going to look at the trees, the details. These, we're going to break these down um, for the next three weeks and looking at the specifics of the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine fruits, and... There's really just one fruit, right? We've learned that it's, it's, it's singular. It looks like nine fruits, but it's, it's one fruit with nine parts, and it could even be broken down into three even smaller categories. There's the unseen activity of God in the heart of a person, love, joy, and peace. There are some of these that are more outward-focused and outward-facing uh, fruit of the Spirit, like patience and kindness and goodness. And then there's some fruit of the Spirit that that seem to be instrumental and unique as a witness to a watching world and maybe an unbelieving world, like faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This morning we look at the unseen fruit of the Spirit, the unseen activity of the heart that God does inside and deeper parts of a life of a Christian, love, joy, and peace. The unseen activity of the Spirit uh, tells us three things. Uh, God works deep in the heart of a person. And God is enough and God is with us. So God works deep in our hearts. He is enough and he is with us. Let's look at how God works deep in our hearts, how this fruit of the Spirit, and these three in particular, show us the depths to which God goes to show himself to us. Uh, Now, I don't want you to think that love, joy, and peace are only inner qualities, that they're only things that we experience inwardly we know for certain that these are also outward-focused things. There are things that should be seen and done. Uh, they're not just qualities of the heart, but they're actions in a person's life. Right? We are to do love and act joyful and show peace. Um, but there is good reason why Paul uses the analogy of fruit. Have you noticed how Paul, if you kind of been looking at this passage and the preceding verses, you've noticed how when Paul talks about the work of the flesh and the qualities of the flesh. He talks about the works, the works of the flesh. But when he shifts to God's actions in our life, he talks about 
fruit. He's wanting to use imagery here, an agricultural imagery. Uh, the activity of the Spirit in our life is so much more like gardening than it is like a microwave. We don't just put something in and out comes the product that we desire, but it is this gardening effect. It is this long effect. It is sowing seeds that at first when you plant a seed, it feels like nothing is happening. It goes deep into the soil and you're thinking, okay, so where's the fruit? Where's the plant? Just give me some sign of growth. And days and sometimes weeks will go by in a garden where you will see no signs of life at all. But deep in that soil, magic is happening. Something beautiful is happening. That's the way God works in our hearts. The Spirit of God is implanted deep within our hearts like a seed in the soil that bears fruit in time. God is at work even when we don't feel like he is at work. And love, joy, and peace is, is showing us that God is, intends not to just uh, work on our behavior and our outward attitudes or the things that other people see, but God is wanting to renew us deep in our lives. And it's usually the places we don't want God to go. We don't want him to touch those parts in our life. We don't want him to get in the mess. We don't want him to reveal the things in our heart that we struggle with that we're not sharing with anybody or we're not revealing to anyone. We don't even want to think about ourselves. But the Bible, the Bible talks about love in this way, that it is this deep presiding reality of God's presence. No one, no one talks more about the love of God than the Apostle John. He's even called the, the Apostle of Love. He talks about it so much, he's called the Apostle of Love. Um, and he writes this in 1 John, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, if we stop at verse 11, which we often do, like, if God loves us, then we need to love others. And so that we take that and we then think to ourselves, okay, we don't, I don't love people enough. So the, what I need to do is I need to love people more. And we take verse 11 and then we go out in our life and we try really hard to love people more. We might do a good job from time to time, but we continue to find ourselves failing in that. It would seem that what God is focused on mostly is our external behavior. But as we know, the power of love, the desire to love, the motivation to love comes not just from the facts that God loves us, but that God lives in us and his love abides deep in our hearts. And when we love, it, it is a symptom that something about the love of God, something about the good news of his grace, his mercy, his kindness to us has reached a deep part in our love. It has planted deep within the soil of our heart and it's bearing fruit. He abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now take, for instance, the iceberg analogy. I'm sure many of you have heard about this. It's an analogy used to talk about the, you know, what we see on the surface and then much, much, most is, is actually living underneath the surface of what we don't see. Where 75% of the mass of an iceberg is below the visible surface. And when we think about our life with God, when we think about walking with Jesus as a Christian and the things that God cares about, what does it mean to be a faithful Christian? Most of us will talk about the 25%. 
How do you know that somebody is being a faithful Christian? We will often talk about the first, the, just the top stuff that we see. Well, they, they're faithful in the church. They go regularly. They, they're kind. They, they act nice. They, they give financially to the church. They, they're generous with their time, their talents. So you're, you're talking about all the things that people do on the outside that you can see. And when you think of your own life about what it means to be faithful to Jesus in your own life, you're probably thinking about the behaviors that you want to change your habits, your attitudes, the things that you do and say that make you feel guilty and shame, the things that other people see of you that you want to change and it makes you feel bad that, that you're that way. God desires to go so much deeper than we are often willing to let him. Life with God is about, it's about planting an acorn in our hearts under the slab of granite around our hearts that that doesn't naturally seek God, that doesn't naturally want to be changed, and that granite grows. It breaks through that granite, that hard shell, and, and becomes an oak tree. This is what God does. He plants his love, his joy, and his peace it, and in our hearts, deep within our hearts, and it breaks into fruit. It bears fruit. And this is radical work. He's so much more interested in in the deep things in our life, the inner life of a person. And so if anything could be said about what is essential for Christianity, it must be this. It's not about living according to certain traits or characteristics or being a certain type of person, a certain kind of Christian that God would love. But it goes much deeper than that. It's about a heart that's renewed by God's grace, by his love, his joy, and his peace, the deepest part of our being being open to God, letting God see our, our most intimate struggles, our most intimate sufferings, our most intimate insecurities about ourselves and our lack of faith, letting him open to our hearts where we know that we fail to, to love God and to love others. And God is saying, that is where I want to reach. I'm not after just your behavior. I'm not after just your, your actions and your attitudes and what people commend you for or rebuke you for. I want your heart. I want your dreams and your passions, your emotions, your, your appetites. You know the famous chapter in the Bible that talks about love. It's, it's even called the love chapter. It's not about how to have a healthy marriage. Well, it can be, actually. It's, but for 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. We hear it at weddings all the time, but this is not just about marriage. It's not just about weddings. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul, he's writing this chapter on love, to a church obsessed, I mean really obsessed with outward-focused success as Christians. They are, it is written to a people that were so obsessed with knowledge, having the right answers, being the right kind of people, living in the right kind of way. And right in the heart of that, Paul is telling, he's, he gives us this, this passage that we're so familiar with. The Love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, and so on. If you don't have love, then everything you do is just noise to God. Those are, those are confrontational words. Those are tough words to really hear. If you don't have love, then everything you do, even the good things you do, is just, it's just noise. It's just noise to God. But the good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's love for us is that we are accepted, we are loved, we are adopted into his family. He's after our hearts. 
He goes on to tell the Romans in Romans chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now he takes eating and doing because there was controversy about eating and doing, and he's using this as a way of saying, it's not about, this is not the essence of what it means to know, love, and follow God is not in your behavior and your ability to be morally upright. It is about the work of the Holy Spirit, the deepest part of your being, that results in love and joy and peace. This is the essence of the kingdom of God. You may wonder, what's the kingdom of God? It is Jesus Christ's rule and reign over all of creation, including us. His ability to rule over his people, to reign in our hearts. These three, love, joy, and peace, it's not just happy feelings. Maybe you've come to this uh, passage, and we're going to be here, we're going to sit here for a few weeks, and thinking about love, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. You might be thinking, okay, these are feelings. Like, I want to be more loving, I need to feel loving, I need to feel joyful. I need to feel at peace. I think that's how we read it at first, but happy feelings are never enough. Happy feelings uh, are just, they're superficial. They never last, but love, joy, and peace tell us that, that God is enough. When he gives us this himself, when he gives us his love and joy and peace, it, he is enough for us. This is the second point, that God is enough. Not only does he reach deep into our hearts, but he proves that he is all that we need. Think of it this way, and I wonder if you can relate to some of my situations. Sometimes I am filled with intense joy in worship, uh, to pray, to serve with other Christians in ministry, and sometimes there are times when those spiritual activities can just be a miserable experience. Sometimes it's everything I want to do, and sometimes it's the last thing I want to do. You know, so there are moments when the words of Scripture are so rich in my life. When I'm spending time with the Lord and I open my Bible and I'm reading the words of Scripture, they remind me so powerfully of what God has done in my life and who he is and how he's rescued me. And I just want, I'm filled with such joy. And I just want to like shout it everywhere. And there are sometimes I would rather read the, the new Costco coupons that just came out. You know how excited you get when that comes out? Sometimes God's word just lights me on, like lights my heart on fire, and sometimes it's just the most boring thing. There are times sin drives me closer to God, that my sin drives me into the arms of God, and there are sometimes my sin makes me run in the other direction. There are some times that sin makes me run away from God. You ever feel that way? And, and, and say, so what is that? What, what is going on when sometimes we, we want to follow God and we, we get so much energy to follow God and we're so passionate about it and then some days we just don't care? It, it's that feelings are not enough. Happy feelings are not God's agenda for our lives. For us to just always be happy and motivated and in season to worship God is not his agenda for us. His agenda is that you and I would know that because of what Jesus has done for us, we no longer face condemnation. There's no longer 
punishment due to us because of Jesus that he took our punishment for us on the cross. That we no longer live as people without hope in this world. His agenda for us is that in knowing his love and his joy and his peace accomplished through Christ, that we would be people firm in reality of who he is and what he's done for us. That we would have the full assurance of his affection, his salvation, and his security. Not on a superficial level, but at the deepest level that it can access in our lives. The deepest level that you and I can be cognitively aware of in our broken bodies. And all, they, all these things and more come to us in ways that, that we don't depend on. All this security, all this rescue, all this assurance and affection from God, it doesn't come to us because we did something good. It depends on Christ who died for us in our place. And Jesus gives us the privilege of the relationship that he has with God, the Father, as if we earned it ourselves. This is God's agenda for us. Romans 8, 37 and 39 says this, No, in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his agenda, that we would be so convinced of his love and joy and peace. It would renew our life. It would transform our life in radical ways. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is that God is enough. The fruit of the Spirit gives us confidence that God is enough. His love for me is enough. The joy that he gives to me is enough. His peace that he offers to me is enough. I've heard that love, joy, and peace are the triplets of the fruit of the Spirit because they're always together in the Bible. Love, joy, and peace, they're always together. They're always hanging out. (laughs) They're always spending time and interacting with one another in Scripture. Um, Jesus has said, I, I, I love you as the Father has loved me. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives you peace. Do not let your heart be afraid. The joy, I've told you these things so that you would have joy and that your joy would be full. He's talking to us and he's always using these, these words. They're always together. I call love, joy, and peace this unseen activity of God in our life because no one sees that work. When Jesus speaks to his followers and says, I love you as the Father has loved me, and the joy I give you, that joy is complete, and peace is the peace I give you is not like the world gives peace. Those are not things that like other people are seeing in us immediately. Those are things he's speaking to us that we receive from him, that we enjoy in him, and no one might know. It's the things that that we dwell on late at night when we are anxious, that when we are worried, when we are confused, when we are lonely. It is that unseen work of God where we choose to trust in him and abide in him. And we, see, we know that that, that seed under, deep underneath the surface in the soil is working, even though it's not showing any fruit just yet. But there's a deep abiding rest. There's a deep abiding love. There's a deep abiding joy. You know, we're wrestling to live by faith every day. We're wrestling to believe this. 
we're wrestling to believe God, to trust in him, to believe that he's enough when we experience personal pain, injustice, oppression, betrayal, heartache, verbal or physical attacks from others, when we're experiencing life-threatening illnesses, loss of relationship, loss of a job, financial security, whatever we lose, it's a wrestle. We are wrestling to believe in the innermost part in our heart that these things are true about God. And part of us wants to pretend that we are happy. You know, that seed's been planted and we believe in God and his love and joy and peace is given to us, but it hasn't really shown any fruit yet. And so we kind of, we're tempted to pretend that we're happy when we're not. And we don't have to. We don't have to pretend, but the Spirit does bring joy, does bring peace, it does bring the love of God, and it does convince us that God is enough. And even in our waiting for that seed to, 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 to grow, to bear fruit, God is working. Think of Habakkuk, which I know you do often. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said the name Habakkuk in church before. Ten years, never said it. I'm saying it now. We'll have to study that book sometime. Think of Habakkuk. Here's, here's a little story about Habakkuk. Character in the Bible, don't get to talk about a lot. Uh, he's, his country is facing devastation, uh, invasion of, 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 of enemies, and it might destroy everything. And he was trembling with fear. He wasn't filled with the happy-go-lucky feelings that Christians are supposed to feel, right? He was devastated. He was shaking. But even in such circumstances, he knew that he could trust God. He knew who God was. He knew he could trust him. He knew he could find rest, even in the midst of his life falling apart. Everything in his life, the bottom just fell out. And here's what he says in Habakkuk 3. Though the, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. There's something going on deep within the heart of a man whose life has fallen apart. And you can kind of see you looking at this, like the thing, these are the things that were important to him. These are things that were essential. These were his lifeline. I mean, his food, his livelihood, his source of income, his pleasure in life, his ability to enjoy creation and what God had given to him. When all those are taken away. And, and maybe the bottom has fallen out of your life, but maybe it hasn't been rock bottom. And we don't need to wait until it's rock bottom to rejoice in the Lord. But what we see so often in Scripture is even when we do hit rock bottom, even that is not too far away from the love, joy, and peace of God. It's not contingent on our circumstances. It's not contingent. Why? Because it's not superficial and on the surface, it is deep below that surface. It's not that top of the iceberg that people see. It's not just the things that we see. It's the things deep in our heart that Jesus says no one can touch that. Not even spiritual forces, not even the, the greatest forces in all of the world. No one can touch that. Not even you, not even your sin can take that away. You know, some people are really bubbly you think of joy, right? We've been talking about love a little bit. Talk about joy a little. Some people are really what we would describe as joyful. They're, they're bubbly and enjoy meeting other people. They have a positive spin on everything. I mean, they just have a plain old good attitude even when traumatic things happen. But that's not real joy. That's better described as just 
being an extrovert or, or an optimist. Yeah, as my introverted friends might call it, psychopaths, right? And so <laughs> some people are just bubbly on the outside, but is there's this stability deep in their heart? Is this rest? Is there this unshakable confidence, conviction? My eyes are telling me that everything is bad and falling apart. But the reality is that God has planted a seed in my heart of love and joy and peace and steadfast. Some people are unshaken by bad things, but maybe they're not very kind. You know, they're calloused by the, the world. And you might look at that person and say, well, they're a person of peace. They're, they're peaceful because they're, not, they're just even-keeled, but they kind of have a bad attitude and pessimistic about everything. That's not peace. It might even be called cynicism. Here is a, a, a quote from Chris Wright from a book called Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. Real love, joy, and peace is the result of a settled trust in God's care and a steady refusal to constantly give into the anxieties of this world. It's an act of the will in which we choose not to worry, but to pray and trust God. And the whole Bible assures us that God can be trusted. Be at peace. The whole Bible tells us that God can be trusted. Be at peace. So God works below the surface. It's an internal work of renewal in our heart to be convinced of the things that God has told us to be convinced of. And he is enough. What is he telling us that we should be convinced of? That he is enough. He knows our cares. He knows our struggles. We don't have to fake that, that these things don't give us pleasure, that we don't have dreams and hopes and wishes. God invites us. He knows our hearts. He invites us to cry out to him, God, I want life this way. I want things like this to happen. I don't want this to happen. Please take this from me. Please give this to me. God wants us to cry out in times of need like that. But he wants us to know that those things are never enough. But he is enough. And finally, he is he's with us. He's not a distant God that it's far off, but he is with us. And, you know, it's certainly a biblical truth that God is with us. And I'm not just putting this in here of like, hey, what's something really good to say to encourage you all? God is with us. But this is here in the fruit of the Spirit as well. This is essential to the fruit of the Spirit, that God's presence is not far off, but, but indwells us. In the Old Testament, when God wanted to let his people know that he was with them, present with them in their midst, he comes as fire. This is how he shows himself, that I'm with you. When God made himself known to Abraham, he came in a, a pillar of fire. When he revealed himself to Moses, he came in a burning bush. When the Israelites traveled in the wilderness at night, God showed them the way as a pillar of fire to show them I'm still with you even though you can't see me. He led them as a pillar of fire. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the followers of Christ and first poured out, the, the, the long-awaited and anticipated presence of God indwelling our hearts had come on the day of Pentecost on all Christians. What happened? A small pillar of fire rested on the head of every single Christian. Not just the apostles, not just the leaders, not just the really good Christians or the people who spent the most time with Jesus, but individual torches of fire over every single 
person who trusted in Jesus. Do you, do you see this? Every single Christian is a burning bush to which God has come. Every believer is now a pillar of God's presence. This was so astonishing. This was what was so amazing about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Through the Holy Spirit, the presence of God came personally to every Christian, once and for all, to never be taken away. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the only possible way that Jesus can say to you and I, I am with you now and I will be with you forever and I will never leave you. You don't need to be afraid. It's because of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is talking about the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit being in the life of a Christian. Before Jesus' death, he sat down with his disciples and he says this to them. He says, I'm leaving you soon and I'm going to a place that you cannot come. You can't follow me and I'm so sorry. I know you want to follow me, but you can't. And he tells them, on that day, you are going to feel like I don't love you. And on that day, your joy will, be, will feel like it's gone. And on that day, you will be afraid. You will not have peace. But don't worry. I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will be with you and I will be with you always. You're going to feel like God's love and joy and peace are gone when hard things happen. And he is here. The Holy Spirit fills us to convince us that God has never left and he never will. You don't need to be afraid. When the Holy Spirit is given to us, we are able to internalize the truths of what it means to belong to God and that he belongs to us because of the Holy Spirit. I belong to God and he belongs to me. What does that mean? Like, like in some kind of distant relational way? Is it an intellectual way? Is, is it just believing? No, he actually, we are the, this is the miracle of, of the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit is that we are not waiting to be in the presence of God. He has actually come to us. And the result is this. It fills us with joy. How do we know that the new believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit were filled with complete and utter joy? Because everybody who saw them thought they were drunk. True story. They were so filled with joy that everyone thought they were drunk. If you are really spirit-filled, you're not happy because you're, you've convinced yourself that you should be happy. It's not because you're strong-willed. It's not because you're optimistic. It's not because you are resilient in your mind. It is because the Holy Spirit has enabled you to truly grasp the truth of what God's done for you. You have his love, you have his joy, you have his peace. The reason that Christians can be filled with joy and peace is because only Christians are truly capable of grasping reality. That, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Let me say it again. <laughs> only Christians are capable of truly grasping reality. Reality. 
And I don't mean that only Christians are capable of knowing true things. That's not what I'm meaning. But only those who have had their eyes open to the real picture of who we are because of our sin and what God has rescued us from because of Jesus, only those people who are able to see as they really are and who God really is. And the love of God is beyond all measure and and he knows who we are. He knows our sin. He knows our record, our character. He loves us still. It's a joyful reality to know that we are loved fully despite our failures. Isn't that what you and I want? Isn't that all that we seek after? Doesn't that motivate everything that we do in our life? We just want to be loved for who we are. We want to be loved by someone who knows us and knows that we are no good. In, in the deepest part of our hearts, we're, just, we're a mess, we're struggling. And I think that's the cry of all of our hearts. We want to know, we want to be real, we want to be honest, we want to, we want people to look at our sin and say, I still love you, and I always will. And no one can do that perfectly. No, he, no one in our life can do that. That's exactly what God offers to us. That's exactly how God loves us. It's a joyful thing to know despite our failures that we are loved. And only Christ is able to give us this perfectly. You know, in a way, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to tell the story of Jesus and to continually remind us of what Jesus has accomplished for us. He is the God who came, became man. He died for our sins that we would have a right relationship with God. He gives us his love, his joy, and his peace. He rose from the grave. He is alive today. He dwells in the lives of his followers through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just, he's in our life in part just to keep reminding us and convincing us of who Jesus is and what he has done. When we're anxious, when we're worried, when we're, when we're doubting, when we're confused, when we're hurt, when we feel lonely and alienated, when we're betrayed, the Holy Spirit is there to convince us that we are loved, that God is enough, that he is with us, that we are accepted and secure and significant to him, so much so that he would give everything And he has. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are declared innocent because Jesus was declared guilty in our place. And to finish where we started, it isn't merely an intellectual exercise. Without love, it's just noise, right? It's, it's, It's not just where we check off the boxes of our behavior and look at our behavior, the boxes of belief. Yes, I believe these things. I believe these things to be true. It's about adoring God. It's about worshiping him. It's about resting in him. It's about letting God have access to the deepest parts of our wants and our needs and our fears and our hopes and our loves and our dreams and saying, God, I want you to to transform me in the deepest part. And the fruit of that will be love. It will be joy. And it will be peace. It begins as an activity in the heart that no one sees but it ends in a demonstration of fruitfulness that gives glory to God and fills our heart with joy.